listening to WEHC 90.7 FM, and this is Art Speaks, a program presented by the William Keene Museum of Art. I'm Lagan Bridges, Director of Higher Education, and will be the host for this episode. For those of you who are unfamiliar, WKMA is an art and culture museum in Abingdon, Virginia. You can learn more about everything that we do at williamkeenemuseum.org. And now for today's show. I'm here with artist Allison Parker, who is based in Northeast Tennessee. Allison is a classically trained painter and illustrator. She is a graduate of Savannah College of Art and Design, as well as Grand Central Atelier in New York. She was an illustrator for the TV show Secrets of New York, which was syndicated for public TV and it was also on the History Channel. She has won a painting award from the Salma Gundy Club. She's shown with the PETA Museum in New Jersey, and she was awarded an exhibition at the Museum of Illustration in New York. She's currently exhibiting work at the Clark Gallery in Banner Elk, North Carolina. Allison teaches art both online and in person. Locally, she is taught at Tom Root Studio, Kingsport Arts Guild, McKinney Center, and this summer she will be teaching an anime and manga illustration camp for teens in Art Lab at William Key Museum. Hi, Allison. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing wonderful. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your experience with drawing and illustration and how you use the skills you've developed through the study of fine art to teach anime and manga illustration. So a few notes about anime. In Japan, the term anime basically refers to animation in general. However, much of the world has come to associate the term anime, very specific style uh, of animation in Japan. The term manga refers to comics and graphic novels that are originating from Japan. And our listeners may be familiar with anime through Dragon Ball Z, through Sailor Moon, and Naturo. However, anime and manga origins can be traced back much further than just a few decades. The first animated film that was released in Japan in 1918, and this was made with chalk drawings. A lot of the early animated works are hard to find. This is in part because film was made on nitrocellulose, which was very flimsy, very flammable. And also many of these early films were lost during the Great Earthquake of 1923 and also bombings of World War II, which destroyed numerous film studios. In 1963, you have a very popular Japanese animated TV series that was Tetsuan Adam or Astro Boy, and that was starring a robot boy who lived with humans and battled crime and aliens. And the spark of the anime aesthetic of large eyes and gravity-defying hair has been credited to Astro Boy. And then the 1980s really saw a golden age of anime as sources were expanding, types of anime and approaches to anime are growing. And then we also have manga, the graphic novel and comic book style that's growing in popularity. And as we all know, anime continues to be popular in our culture today. So Allison, I understand a lot of your current art leans into realism. And you teach about anime and manga illustration from an art historical perspective. So tell me about how you became interested in anime illustration. 
Sure. Okay. Well, um, I started out as a sort of quirky illustrator um, in a style of Tim Burton, Edward Gorey, Shel Silverstein, those kind of um, pen and ink drawings. So I always loved line and um, very crisp uh, ink pen lines. Um, but after a while, I went to New York to study anatomy and um, to work from live models, which was hard to find in Savannah and other places. So um, I learned how to sculpt and draw and paint the human body um, and was very interested in color. And from that, I started to notice a little more in anime how keen they were on anatomy and volume and um, how masterful it was because they're able to capture without shading all of the volumes of the muscles, the movement, um, the dynamic action for shortening where things come out at you in space and get larger. And all those things were captured with a very crisp, simple line and a lot of economy, which means not to overwork things. Um, so after that, I just realized how amazing these artists were. Um, and then looking back at the history of some of the Disney artists, I realized that what they all had in common is that they studied from life and they drew live people and worked from observation a lot. It sounds like this type of illustration is still using the process of gesture drawing, that continuous fluid line drawing that is used to capture form and movement uh, as opposed to a controlled hard outline drawing. That's why I connect to animation and anime manga a little bit too, because that's my favorite part of drawing is starting with that fluid movement of the gesture. So you might hear it be called the line of action in animation, create volume and then pull the line around those volumes. The only issue with that, that fine artists don't always use that. It can create kind of a generic character that always looks the same or that looks more like a mannequin than a naturalistic person. Going back to the early Japanese artists like Hokusai and some of the illuminated books from India, if you look closely at those, they're not just those generic circle volumes. They actually have very subtle outlines that hug the volume of each muscle with its own very specific shape. With students, I noticed that they are getting good a lot faster than I did when I was growing up because of the internet. So there are so many great resources. But if you've only worked from photos and not from live models, uh, it can make your work a little bit flat because we get used to copying outlines and focusing on the outline. Sometimes um, the line itself can start to cut into your volume and your form. So it makes it feel a little flat, a little bit squished, or a little bit rigid. Learning how to work from the inside of the body out toward the edge and to slowly find the outline uh, was really fun for me to learn when I went to the Grand Central Atelier. Uh, it totally changed the way I saw things and how I built my shapes, and it allowed me to start making things up out of my head without having to be so tied to a reference. So that's what I would like to share with students, um, having had that experience and to kind of open up some options for them on how to problem solve when they're creating a character. So what are some formulas you use or have your students use to develop their characters for these illustrations? Yeah, so there are some formulas that have been around along before the anime style, you know, the giant eyes with the big highlight. So that's one formula. 
Vincent van Gogh, Picasso, and all the artists that came out of the Paris ateliers of the 18 and 1900s, they learned from a book called the Charles Barg Drawing Book, which took the complicated, very natural figure and just simplified it into very blocky shapes and all of the essential gesture lines and curves, but just with one really fluid outline with a little bit of overlapping. And the purpose of that was to be able to quickly capture a pose, the movement, the gesture, and the volume just with the line without paint um, and to be able to work really quickly. So a big part of my process is just keeping a sketchbook every day and drawing anything I see. You don't want to wait for that perfect character to pop into your mind, but you want to let your ideas grow out of just drawing a lot. And the more things you draw, no matter how simple they are, if it's a salt and pepper shaker, a fork or your own hand or people you see in line at the grocery store and you're sketching really fast, all that information is going to get your brain going and help you to brainstorm and get ideas. So everyone's different, but I'm definitely someone who has to put my pen on the paper before I can start to see things in my mind and it, it grows out of that. And I never go with my first idea. One thing I learned at Savannah College of Art is to do lots of sketches and thumbnails. And we were not allowed to settle on our idea until we had 20 sketches of the same assignment. So that really helped me a lot because they always evolve. Um, and creativity is another skill that you have to practice. So coming up with concepts and ideas, you have to use your sketchbook and, and practice and do it daily if you can, even if it's five minutes. And that's where the ideas come from. But I like to draw friends and family, go to coffee shops and sketch people. But if I don't have access to that, I like to watch films and pause them because all of the screenshots are thought out in terms of composition. So that translates really well to a a comic. And do you find that by engaging in a daily drawing practice and spending time with even the most mundane objects or subjects that it helps to build curiosity with that creativity? Yes. Um, my favorite thing about New York City was drawing people on the subway. But after cell phones became more popular, some of my artist friends and I were laughing that no one has a head anymore because they're always looking down at the phone. <laughs> one thing about drawing from real life is it's not going to sit still for you. You can't come back to it later. So it forces you, if you're a perfectionist, to edit and speed up and choose what's really the most essential. And obviously, if you want to do comics or animation, drawing quickly and matching the shapes quickly and getting the overall impression of something um, is very useful because you have to do lots of different panels. Um, my, I guess my main objective is to connect students who get very, very good at copying from photos. I want to sort of back up and give them that foundational training, like a, many of the Disney artists and Miyazaki and a lot of the early anime artists had. Allison, for listeners who are interested in exploring anime or manga style further, what are some resources or films you can recommend to them? So most of you probably know the movie Spirited Away. That was one of the most successful anime movies um, in the 2000s. But I love that one so much because even within these very exaggerated characters, like the, the witch character, um, you can see all the 
subtle angles, the cartilage of her nose, the moles, the wrinkles, all that stuff, but it's still very simplified and fluid and beautiful, um, but with all the imperfections of real life too. So for me, um, so that's what I notice when I look at movies like Spirited Away is how much information and how much training that artist has. And that's what that combined with the fluency of drawing really fast is what makes them so lifelike, even though they're clearly in a very specific style. So our current pop culture pulls a lot from Asian animation, Japanese animation. I'm thinking of the movie Avatar, for example, Uh, and early Japanese animation took inspiration from Disney. So with your knowledge of art history, do you see that dialogue between cultures extending back even further? The Japanese getting inspiration from Disney, it does go back further than that, too, because the Impressionists also were looking at a lot of Japanese printmaking. And um, before that, paintings were very heavy and dark with a lot of black shading and earthy pigments and chiaroscuro. So that simplifying things into flat colors with a very specific color scheme of two or three colors, that comes from woodblock printing, printmaking, and Asian art um, that goes back to the earliest manga, which is from the 12th century. Artists like Gustav Klimt and Mary Cassatt were looking at a lot of Japanese printmaking. And even Van Gogh, there's a picture of Hokusai's Great Wave in a photo with him. And he's hanging out with, I believe it's Debussy, the composer. And you can see that print in the background. So that was a big influence. I guess that would be my answer for how Disney influenced me is the things that really stood out to me that I try to capture are when that very unique, beautiful, elegant, stylized, more flat style starts to mingle with the naturalistic details and the griminess of like working from life, how everything is not so perfect and there's endless detail to work with. So I think in a lot of animated movies, you see the villains um, having more realistic, naturalistic influence in the drawing because they oftentimes will combine them with animals. They'll have like claws or just different um, decaying parts on them or things like that. Um, And that I think having things look a little bit scary or creepy oftentimes is inspired by the more realistic side of things because when we see details that we haven't seen before, maybe we don't quite understand or a lot of variety. As humans, we tend to get a little bit scared, like, oh, that looks mysterious because I don't really know what that is. Or combining things, kind of making mythical characters that are half animal, half person. Oh, yeah. And that gets into um, the theory of the uncanny valley in mm-hmm. in art, <laughs> which is when uh, there's something that's just slightly off about what yeah. we're seeing. We don't quite yeah. associate it with what we know in our real physical world. And so that uncanny quality is what makes the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. Yes. So <laughs> I always like that. Uh, for me, the most interesting type of art has that mingling of things that are a little bit ugly, a little creepy, a little realistic and detailed with that very elegant, clean look too. So it's kind of a back and forth there. And as a reminder, you're listening to WEHC 90.7 FM and this is Art Speaks. I'm talking with artist Allison Parker, who will be teaching anime illustration camp at Art Lab this summer. Allison, what does the course layout look like for this kind of teen camp? 
Yeah, we'll start with our history, looking at a lot of inspiration. So just reminding yourself what you like. Um, I focus on what you like more than what you don't like, because that can lead you towards something. Um, and then, of course, they'll keep a sketchbook with some of their favorite ideas and color schemes or backgrounds or places. But I, I also do a lot of brainstorming, so developing a theme based on um, something from history or a fairy tale archetype or something from your own life and just different strategies for developing a story, developing your character to be more unique and meaningful. And so we'll play some word games and look at some modern anime and comics and try to see where the themes come from and where those ideas evolve from. And then just building up a, a toolbox of drawing skills that can help a student come up with their own style. So I'm not going to force a style on anyone. I want them to find their own style, but having some ideas of how to find the gesture line, quickly build volumes, get some basic proportions and very simple light and shadow and a little bit of color theory so that they can feel confident to put that together in their own way. And then we'll finish up with a very simple panel story with a few main characters. This is definitely more hands-on, not computer animation. There are a couple things there if you really want to stand out as an animator. Um, there are a lot of people who know the software who can manipulate things, but there are still very few people who can draw well from life and generate really unique sketches and concepts. So that just gives you another leg up as an artist if you can do that. Yeah, in reading about anime, I learned that drawing by hand without any computer assistance has remained a valued skill in this field. I expected to read that many studios in Japan would have gone digital as soon as it was readily accessible, but was surprised to learn that some studios didn't integrate that digital drawing or computer-assisted component until as late as 2013. And also, I think it helps to open up more opportunities. So computer animation is really useful because they eliminate all the in-betweener jobs to some extent. I mean, because the software can help to move things and do all the in-between frames. They still have people doing that, but I think it's if you want to be an animator, well, do you want to be the person who sits there at the computer doing all the little in between and animating other people's ideas? Or do you want to have part in some of the concept art and generating the ideas? Because they still have fine artists for creating backgrounds and scenery and concepts and things like that. I, I once had someone ask me, well, what do you even do with an art degree? What's the value of, <laughs> of being an artist? And artists are are trained with with certain skill to have certain skill sets to make art um, but not only that it's studying art and making art changes the way that you think and the way that you see the world and having that ability to think abstractly or to think outside the box and be creative yeah. influences every field out there also life is never boring if you can draw anything around you there's always something interesting going on um i'm hearing you talk is also a little bit it reminded me of pushing students to go out of their comfort zone so that's one issue with always drawing from online references and copying someone else's characters to learn that's great that can help you get pencil control and get ideas but if you really want to be an artist when you grow up <laughs> if i'm growing up yet um 
you have to be okay with adapting, going outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of us think, oh, I want to be an artist because I'm quiet and shy. But you actually have to be very outgoing and meet people. And so I think drawing from reality, things that are going to move and change or um, just problem solving in the moment, that's really good training for what an art career really is, which is having to come up with your own work, your own ideas, your own jobs, and really adapt to other people's needs if they ask for help. So that's something I didn't realize in art school and how entrepreneurial and kind of a trailblazer you have to be in art, because I think art tends to attract introverts, right? But um, I've seen students really grow into that and and change a lot. And it's it's fun once you do that. So absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> agree with that statement. The, the more you can put yourself outside your comfort zone, just in terms of making, the easier it will be to put yourself outside your comfort zone on the business end or the social yes. end of being an artist. <laughs> and um, for our, our listeners who are, are budding artists, when, when you're an independent artist, especially, you spend less time making art than you think. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of that time is promoting it. It's, it's social <laughs> yeah. media, it's, it's teaching, it's any number of things that are actually outside of your creative practice, getting used to improvisation and just mm-hmm. rolling with it is, yeah. is also a big part of, of being an artist and illustrator. But I think it is good too, because it broadens your sphere. Because um, drawing for a living or creating art, um, if you're a freelancer, it can be very isolating. Even if you work for a company, you spend a lot of hours just focused with yourself and between you and the page you're working on. So that can get a little lonely, a little bit monotonous, but um, I think those other types of interactions can help you get more ideas too. So if you can bring those experiences from your everyday life into your sketchbook, um, it helps you to always have something new to, to bring in so you don't get stuck in one style or one way of thinking. I even heard one podcast that was talking about just taking a different way home every day if you walk. This was in New York City, but trying to just shake things up and do different things to keep your ideas fresh. You know, there are companies that have taken steps to getting their employees in a more open and creative mindset by redesigning the layouts of their buildings so that you have to leave your department to say get to a bathroom or get to a break room and I believe that companies perhaps including Pixar are doing this and it's being done with the expectation that um, engaging with other departments and other ways of thinking will spark conversation and help people expand creatively maybe a little tangential to the topic of of illustration and manga and anime specifically, but thinking about creativity, I do love that idea that even a brief interaction can fuel this new idea or even potentially get you out of a creative rut. Definitely. I think, well, I think it is relevant to the conversation because it's about doing something long-term, making it sustainable. You have to be able to live with it. You don't want to get bored or stale or frustrated, but I always thought I would be a Disney animator and go to animation school. But for me, I realized I enjoy people and I enjoy hands-on things. And I didn't want to sit in front of a computer all day. So when it seemed like it was going to be working in a cubicle in front of a screen, I started to go more into the fine art world and teaching and things like that. But I think it's going to change a lot coming up too with all the different kinds of 
technology that's coming into art and the ways people are pushing things. People are starting to work with holograms and virtual reality and all the immersive art. So it's going to be interesting. But when I was in school, it was like you sit at your desk and work on your little monitor. So to me, I was not so interested in that. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences teaching, drawing, or illustration online versus offline? And have you identified benefits from one or the other? Yeah. And one one of the surprising things I did like about teaching online is that I can actually demonstrate by drawing on someone's actual picture in Photoshop. And if you want to use color and different painting techniques, you can do it really quickly in an hour class, which is very nice. You don't have to wait for paint to dry or ink to dry, things like that. And you can experiment without messing up your paper. But I did notice that A lot of students are very shy and when they get together in a group in person, they share ideas, they start laughing and talking about what they like. And I've just noticed that after um, a session or two, once they start becoming friends and sharing ideas, their work gets a lot more interesting and they get more confident and want to try different things. So I think that energy of being around other creative people, I've just noticed that students learn as much from each other as they do from me because there's a little bit of that competitive aspect or you see someone doing something you thought was hard, but you can kind of watch how they're doing it. And surprisingly, uh, every time I've taken a class and met artist friends, um, it's not a competitive in a negative way. It's always kind of like a community friendly vibe. So I think it's great to make those friends and have people you can bounce ideas off of and they will they'll expand your mind too. And like, I've, oh, I've always done better and had more ideas when I had other artist friends around. So, and I think a lot of us struggle with um, either you're always very good at art. And then when it starts to get harder, cause you want to raise your standard for yourself, it's hard to deal with that idea that, oh, I'm not the best artist in the room. And that's kind of hard to deal with. But then once you get over that, um, you'll just get better and better. So it's kind of pushing down a roadblock where you you're not afraid to try things or make mistakes and you don't have to be such a perfectionist. So being around other, other people to collaborate and chat with that takes you outside of your own head too. So you're not beating yourself up if it's not perfect. So that's another thing is if you look back through art history, it's really fun when you see famous artists who are friends and they have drawings of each other, but they helped each other with poses and um, modeling and things like that. So Absolutely. Well, we're really looking forward to having you here in a few weeks to teach this class. And um, I'm glad that the students can come together in person and get to work together in this uh, creative classroom community. Yes, I'm excited too. Thanks for inviting me and I'm looking forward to it. Now, officially, registration for camp is closed and is no longer on our website. If you're interested in Anime Camp, we do have a couple of seats open as of the airing of this episode. And you can find out more about those seats available by contacting me at lbridges at wkmuseum.org. Allison, where can listeners find out more about you? Yeah, so right now... um mostly working online just because the pandemic's been hanging around, but I'm starting to do some classes and workshops and private lessons again. Um, So my website that has a link to classes is allisonparker.net and it's A-L-L-I-S-O-N, 
allisonparker.net. And then I have an Instagram. It's at a Parker art. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss illustration with me today, Allison. Thank you so much. It was great speaking with you and I'm looking forward to coming to the William King Museum soon. And you've been listening to Art Speaks on WEHC 90.7 FM.